Going to be studying again from the book of 1 Corinthians in just a few minutes, but before we get into the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to tell you about a, a Bible class trip that I heard some people take. It was young, young folks who were taking that trip, maybe some young guys, and, and they went on a field trip to a certain place, a state park, and they, they, they had a good day except for one little guy. Uh, this little guy, we'll just simply call him Jimmy Know-It-All, uh, he, he was there with them, and, and he just could not find any fun in all of the things that they were doing. He, he started asking questions. You know, you know the kind that we're talking about. He said uh, things like, or made statements. He said, uh, well, uh, uh, that was really a lot of fun. Y'all, you know how, how sometimes folks say that. That was supposed to be good food? Uh, I don't see why everybody's so excited about coming here. Jimmy was the guy who loved quoting statistics. You know, he, he wanted everybody to know how smart he was. He, he wanted everybody to know just how much he knew and how, how he could talk about things. And he really uh, sought to scrutinize everything with, uh, uh, with his own imagination. Jimmy wasn't a happy fellow, though. Jimmy uh, also unwittingly made everybody else unhappy. What should have been a really good day turned into one that wasn't that bad. And finally, the bus driver on the way home had had all he could take. He had listened to him all day long, and he shouted out at Jimmy. He said, uh, uh, Jimmy, says, we all know you think you're the only one on this bus with any sense, and you may be the smartest guy here. Let me tell you something. You're not a wise man. You're just a wise guy. That's true, isn't it, sometimes? Because all of us have probably spent some time with Jimmy along the way. We've known someone who is like that. I know as I was preparing for this lesson, I was doing some research online, and I started seeing some things, and, and lists like this came up, characteristics of know-it-alls. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but see if this rings a bell with anybody you've ever been around. A know-it-all seeks to dominate conversations. They have just got to be in charge of the conversation. They, they want their words in no matter if anybody else gets theirs or not. They often offer uninvited advice. They know how to do everything and they will tell you how to do everything or anything that you need to know. Uh, they're argumentative. They're bossy. Uh, they can be condescending. They challenge authority figures. They tend to engage in pointless debates. We may have known the little Jimmys, know-it-alls, but we probably have known some grown-up Jimmy know-it-alls as well who are a lot like that. Well, here's another one. Ten ways to spot know-it-alls. Their life's a mess, but they're telling others how to live it. Think about that one for a minute. They really and truly don't have a lot of advice that they can give based on experience other than they tell you how they think it ought to be and really and truly they haven't even followed their own advice. They haven't failed big in the last five years, or at least they deny doing so. They've always been right. They seldom take advice themselves. They judge quickly. They're brilliant at pointing out problems, but very reluctant to take action. That really sounds like some folks that I've seen. They can always do it better, even if they've never done it. Uh, they talk more than listen. The more power they have, the more they talk, and the dumber they become. 
That's not me. I'm just copying this from online. They establish adversarial relationships with people who get things done. They're constantly thinking, it can't be that hard while others struggle. They expect more from others than they expect from themselves. We all know the Jimmy Know-It-Alls. You know, I sort of like, though, what Donald Rumsfeld, you may remember him. He served as Secretary of Defense twice for the United States of America, once under uh, President Ford and once under uh, George uh, W. Bush. Here's a statement that he made, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. He says there are known knowns. These are things we know that we know. There are known unknowns. Uh, that is to say, there are things that we know that we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. There are things that we don't know we don't know. I think what he, what he has to say there is the truth. Things that we do know, we know for certain. Things that we know that we don't know. And then things that we really haven't even discovered yet that we did not know. And so he makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, the Jimmy know-it-alls of life come and they take the known knowns and they substitute the known for their own known, their own human wisdom, and thus they change things around. They, they, they think about the known unknowns and just like they have substituted their own known for the knowns, they substitute their own known for the unknowns, and again they seek to use their own human wisdom, and even on the unknown unknowns. They won't even recognize that there is an unknown unknown because they know everything there is to know. We could talk about Jimmy Know-It-Alls all night long, but even though we could, Paul talked about them a long, long time ago. And and Paul didn't say Jimmy Know-It-Alls. He didn't do his research online. He got his information from God. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, verse 19 says, For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He goes on and says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God... In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You see, Paul is talking about those who are wise in this world. Uh, They think they have everything about life figured out. How life should be done. How life should be lived. And, And you know what? They've got it all figured out about even when life is over what life is all about here, and, and they may not acknowledge that there is eternity to face, but even those sometimes who do have come up with plans of how they're going to face it. For example, there are those in our world who, who have come to the conclusion that we'll be reincarnated over and over and over again until you reach a certain level, till finally you, you get beyond that. You may come back as a human being, or you may come back as a cow. You may, you may struggle, you know, through a lot of different lifetimes. Where'd that 
imagination come from? Certainly we can't find it in the mind of God that he's revealed to us, so some human has come up with that in his own mind. And we could talk about those kinds of things, but, but understand tonight that Paul is writing about the Jimmy know-it-alls. He's writing about those who believe that they have all things figured out. But he doesn't have very much that is good to say about them. He talks about their wisdom and how it will be destroyed. When Paul writes this passage, he didn't just come up with it off the cuff. Uh, He's writing by inspiration, but it had already been written long before. For you see, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 29, verses 13 and 14, where Isaiah wrote and said, The Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish." And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Isaiah had written that a long, long time, even before the Apostle Paul wrote it. The discernment, the wisdom of these people. It was leading Israel in the wrong direction. And God said, I will, uh, the, the wisdom of the wise men, it's going to perish. Now, May I ask you tonight, how did that happen in that case? Well, if we go to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, Jeremiah wrote these words. He said, How can you say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men, that's the guys we've been talking about, the wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so that wisdom, so what wisdom is in them? Therefore everyone is greedy and unjust for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Jeremiah is writing about when the children of Israel would be taken into Babylonian captivity. He says these wise men who have got it all figured out, they've been running around telling everybody everything's okay. Nothing's going to happen. We have the temple of the Lord with us. Everything is at peace. And so you don't have to worry about it. There's no way that the Babylonians could ever overcome us because God is with us. God had been sending his prophets to say, hey, change or they will come. He'd been doing doing that for a long, long time. Jeremiah was one of the last to do that. And he talked about the wise men. Their wisdom is going away. They themselves will be going away. They themselves will be punished. And so when we look at it, Paul is quoting from Isaiah, but as we look at Isaiah, we also see some fulfillment in what Isaiah said in the book of Jeremiah. 
Obviously, in the context that Paul is writing here, he's talking about man substituting his own wisdom for the wisdom of God in regard to eternal salvation. But tonight, I want us to explore a little bit deeper. You see, I believe that principle holds true that it applies to more than just the eternal salvation of man. As we think about this tonight, I could have probably shown that to you on the screen, but now we're, we're caught up. I want us to think about the fact that living only by man's wisdom will lead us into spiritual, moral, political, and physical ruin. In every historical case, if we can go back and trace through history, in every historical case that we know of, societies that have been operated by man's wisdom, what has eventually happened to them? Where did they go? What has happened? Let's go all the way back. Let's go back in the book of Genesis. Let's go to chapter number 6 in the book of Genesis, chapter, chapter 6 at verse number 5. And I want you to think about what God saw as he looked out upon mankind in the early days, if you will. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How were men living in the societies that were on the earth in Noah's day? You see, that's what we're talking about here. Men were contriving things in their own minds about how, how to live. But everything that they were thinking of, every contemplation they could, can, could, could dream up, God says was only evil. Only evil continually. That's all they, they could think about, is doing what was wrong. We all know what happened to those societies, except for eight individuals. For 120 years, Noah preached without a single response. No one walked the aisle. No one walked the, the, the plank or uh, the, the ramp up into the ark except Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. God caused the animals to come so he could save those for the earth. But the societies that tried to live by their own human judgment, God destroyed through the flood. Think about some others as we go through time. In Judges chapter 21, we read about in the days of the judges that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Had God not preserved them in order to bring his own son into the world, what would have happened to them? Well, as we studied through the book of Judges a while back, we saw that over and over and over again, they kept getting themselves into trouble. They kept being taken captive and being harassed and being uh, all kinds of bad things happening to them. They would repent. God would raise up a deliverer and uh, they'd live right for a little while and then change back to their old way. But that was... They got in trouble because they kept going back to every man doing what was right in his own eyes. That's the human wisdom part. That's the trying to live life 
without God. We're not going to take time to read it tonight, but if you turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 1, begin reading in verse 18, go through verse 32, Paul will write about the Gentile societies. He talks about how that in their, in their own eyes, in their wisdom, they had forgotten God. He, he, he makes it clear that God should have been clearly evident to them, even by the creation of the world, the things that they were to see, but they had substituted their will. They had substituted their thoughts. They had substituted their judgment. They had substituted their wisdom for God's. And because of that, if you notice in that passage, they started doing all kinds of wrong things. Three times in that passage, God says, I gave them up to their own passions, to their own lust." How bad must it be for God to give up on us? Their fate, their end, except for Christ, was eternal damnation, just as it is with others. And so living by man's wisdom, living by only man's wisdom, it'll lead us into spiritual and moral and political and even physical ruin is some of the examples that we have seen. Let's go back and think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and following again. Remember in verse number 19, the Bible said, God said He would destroy the wisdom of the wise. What does He mean by destroy the wisdom of the wise? The word literally means to destroy fully. Uh, to make it gone, to destroy Fully. It's used several times in the New Testament, that same word. Let me, let me give you a couple to help us understand. Uh, there's a story, a parable that Jesus tells about a king who made a marriage for his, wife, or for his son. And he invited his subjects in to, uh, to be a, a part of that wedding ceremony, that wedding feast. And, and uh, he sent people out to invite. Well... The last ones that he sent to invite, the Bible talks about how that the people who were being invited, they, uh, they actually reacted harshly and killed the messengers. According to Matthew chapter 22, verse 7, the Bible says the king was angry. Imagine that. He had made such a fine feast and yet nobody wanted to come. They'd, they'd killed his own servants. King was angry. He sent his troops, watch this, and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. To destroy fully. What did he do? Go out there and tickle them with a sword? Did he go out there and, and, and just sort of mock them and make fun of them? No. We understand. We're not left to our imagination except for how things were done. We know what Jesus meant. He went out and he slaughtered those people with his army. The Bible says he burned their city down. God said, I will destroy, destroy fully the wisdom of the wise. Word is used again in the New Testament, still in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, at verse 20. The Bible says, Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, 
You know the story now, don't you? How that as Pilate was seeking to let Jesus go, uh, he said, I've got a plan. We've got a, we've got a bad guy here. I'll just say I'm going to release one, and they'll surely ask for Jesus to be released. I can't find anything wrong with him. But what did they do? You remember they asked for Barabbas because they'd been persuaded by the chief priest and elders. But notice again what is said here in Matthew 27, verse 20. Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. You see, they were wanting to utterly get him out of the way. And we know what he meant, what they meant by destroy Jesus, because they cried out over and over again, crucify him, crucify him. That is what he meant. They thought that if he was dead, he could no longer be of, uh, of any problem to the people, that he could not have influence, he'd be gone. He would have been destroyed. Just as the people thought that they would destroy Jesus and thus alleviate anything, any influence that he might have, fully eliminate that by fully destroying him, by killing him. So it is that God says he will destroy, fully destroy the wisdom of the wise. Folks, as long as time continues, God will not stop mankind from devising all of the wisdom, quote-unquote, of his own mind. But at the very end, he will indeed destroy the fruits of it, will he not? If we continue to seek to live by that, then those who have lived by the human wisdom will die by the human wisdom when they are punished by God eternally. Not only did he say that he would destroy the wisdom of the wise, but also God said that he would thwart the discernment of the discerning. The word thwart means to set aside, to neutralize, to neutralize. Men can truly make some great plans, can't they? We can think things up. We can devise our own way. But you see, mankind can only carry out those plans as long as God allows it. Mankind can only live his own way as long as God allows it. Men can discern their own ways of living, but they can only do so as long as God allows them to do it. Where are they now? Have you ever seen one of those television programs or you, you, you've seen maybe in a, on a website the, the headline, where are they now? Where are, where are the childhood actors from a certain television show or the, all of the cast of a certain television show from back in the 60s or the 70s? Where are they now? Maybe they'll profile some of them and they'll tell you some of the further successes that some had. Maybe they'll tell you some of the uh, failures that others had. Some may even have 
the story about the demise or the death of certain of those characters, maybe through drugs or some other terrible way, where are they now? Well, think about the wise ones. Go back to the book of Acts chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 18, the Bible says, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, talking to Paul. Some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus, the resurrection. Who were the Epicureans? Epicureans were the followers of Epicurus. They were persons who were devoted solely to sensual enjoyment, especially that which derived from food and drink and other things of that nature. They basically said man can live any way he wants to and, and it's his duty in life to enjoy himself. There's still some of their followers around today, aren't they? Just don't call themselves Epicureans anymore. That particular sect is gone. Some of the Stoics, he said, Stoics, unlike the Epicureans, were an ancient uh, of the ancient Greek philosophy of Zeno. You know what they said? Uh, their, their thinking was that uh, the highest good is based on knowledge and that the wise live in harmony with the divine reason. What does that mean? In other words, providence and fate, it governs nature. And to put it simply, their attitude was just ignore all that's wrong. Turn away from pleasure, and to pain. Folks, though our society may still have some who have the same tendency, those of Paul's day have gone to meet their maker. They have gone to face the God of the universe. They made fun of the Apostle Paul. They called him a babbler. They said he's talking about some foreign divinity because he was talking about Jesus Christ. What is the end of those who are unbelievers according to the book of Revelation? Where are they now? Folks, where are the Babylonians? Mentioned them a little bit earlier in this lesson. Where are the Babylonians who boasted of all their great learning so long ago. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, you may have heard that, uh, heard of them. They were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The Hanging Gardens were described as a remarkable feat, according to Wikipedia, of engineering with a an ascending series of tiered gardens containing a wide variety of trees, shrubs, and vines. The gardens were said to have looked like a large green mountain constructed of mud and bricks. It must have been something to see because 
the very site has been preserved through time uh, as tradition has carried it on. It was indeed at that time a remarkable feat, evidently, of engineering. It took some smart folks to figure out how to do it. They evidently were built by King Nebuchadnezzar in his glory and his wisdom. Oh, by the way, uh, it was constructed by King Nebuchadnezzar, whom God caused to roam the fields like an animal, to eat grass until he acknowledged that there was a God. Their army was so mighty that it basically conquered the world. Where are they now? Where is that society that could construct something known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Oh, the Medes and the Persians came along and they overthrew them. They no longer exist. After the Medes and the Persians, we have a, another great society. Where are they? Where the Greeks who exalted themselves as the greatest conquerors, even greater than the Babylonians, the greatest conquerors and the greatest thinkers, the greatest philosophers of all time. Where, where is ancient Greece? they were eventually overcome and Rome took their place. Oh, mention the Romans. Where are the Romans with their military might who conquered again the world and made it, made it success, uh, accessible, if you will, for the gospel to go? It was part of the right time that we talked about this morning a little bit. But where are they now? Folks, I want you to think about this very seriously. And our world needs to be thinking about this. When man's wisdom replaced God's wisdom in all of those societies, all of those societies got corrupt. All of those societies got crime-ridden. All of those societies became immoral. And all of those societies were overthrown. They may have thought they had a plan. They may have thought they had it figured out. They may have thought that they were the wisest of the wise. And they may have taught their people to live in ungodly ways. But God ultimately thwarted them each one of them by having them overthrown by someone else. Have you looked around modern America lately? Have citizens here in our own nation become corrupt from the leaders on down? We're not talking about everyone. We still know they're good folks there. But you can't watch the news hardly without understanding that corruption abounds. Have you seen the streets lately? Have our streets become 
crime-ridden. Is it accurate to say tonight that at least some in government seem to pamper the criminals and encourage crime? Folks, we've come, become so politically correct that we refuse to call illegal activity illegal. City leaders, state leaders openly defy the laws of the land. Go to Colorado. Marijuana, an illegal drug, and yet that state made it legal. One of many now, in defiance of federal law, it was popular. Folks wanted it, said there'd be no harm. That hasn't been all that long. But if you begin searching the internet again, you won't be long until you're finding studies that are coming from Colorado itself that said, basically, oops, things are not working out quite as well as we thought they might. It's not a good thing. We understand leaders, state, local, federal, whatever, they become corrupt. Cities have now called themselves sanctuary cities. Non-citizens of our own nation are encouraged in these places. So a news story just this past week where those who are in our country illegally are encouraged by the leaders of those places to register to vote in our own elections. Again, open defiance. Law enforcement is demonized. Policemen are executed. Criminals are alerted to raids by law enforcement officials as in Oakland, California, just recently. Our kids can't even go to school without the fear of being killed. I ask you again tonight, are our streets crime-ridden? We've come to blame everything and everyone but the ones who are to blame. That's because human wisdom tells us to do it that way. We've taken God out of schools. And sure enough, we have gotten Godlessness. God's not there. We're Godless. And when we're Godless, Godlessness follows. Folks, I'm a supporter of teachers and education public education even. However, sometimes we have to stand up and say, enough is enough. We've taught children that they're animals. 
And now they act the part. I don't say this lightly. Many teachers and students are slowly being brainwashed. And we need to be careful. How many of you heard about the 17-minute walk out by the students just this past week? They were yahoos when they went out. They jumped on police cars and tore down flags. And I saw one video supposed to be of a bunch of students who were on the 17-minute walkout who had gone to Walmart and trashed the Walmart and all kind of things like that. But that was billed as a memorial for the 17 students who were killed in the recent school shooting in Florida, wasn't it? We're going to go out and we're going to honor them. And who could be opposed to a memorial to go out and honor some folks who have been killed? And that's the way it was advertised a lot. But just a little research reveals that a few students were likely the ones who initiated the idea, but do you know who took up the cause and organized it nationwide? The National Women's March. The 17-minute thing, enough, and all of the things that were associated with that is a part of their website. What difference does that make? Think about this group of lewd, foul-mouthed women who organized the Women's March on Washington just last year. Their language was not even fit for people to hear. Their dress, their actions, if you watch the news, was unfit. Do you know their demands? You can go to their website. It wasn't simply to memorialize 17 students. Gun control pretty well sums it up. And I'm not here tonight to argue that case one way or the other. But their intent was to vilify the evil gun and not the evil life that they lived. And you know the problem? So many people blindly followed those who styled themselves wise. That's the problem. The underlying principle of God's revelation is that we must live by His standard. To change it to any other standard is a human standard that will be destroyed, that will be thwarted. You see, that's what Paul wrote so long ago. We must live by God's standard. Two verses and then we'll quit. Jesus made this statement, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I ask you again, where are the Babylonians? Where are the Greeks? Where are the Romans? Where Sodom and Gomorrah? We didn't even talk about them tonight. What about those of Noah's day who were destroyed in the flood? Though Paul was writing about the wisdom of man, substituting that there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 19 and following, though he was writing about the wisdom of man as it relates to human salvation, we can't save ourselves. That principle still is true in our societies. Unless and until in our own societies we make God's standard our standard, if God allows time to go on long enough, somebody will one day be asking, where is the United States? Oh, it can't happen. We're too strong. We've got the best technology. The smartest people. God's people said, we got God's temple. It's all peaceful. God will never allow it, us, to be destroyed. And yet God said about those wise men who were saying that, you'll be taken away. You yourself, your wives, your children will all be destroyed. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word is here for us as long as this old earth is here. But even more than that, John 12 verse 48, that same word, Jesus would say this, He says, The one who rejects Me does not receive My words as a judge. The word that I've spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. We've simply called our lesson tonight a warning to the wise. And we simply have to look at ourselves and we have to ask, Really? Beware of human wisdom. And substituting that for God's, not just for salvation's sake, but also for the salvation of our very societies in which we live. Maybe you're here tonight and you need God in your life. You need to put Him on in baptism. Maybe tonight that you need to come back to Him for some reason. If you have a need to respond to His invitation tonight, why don't you do it right now?